We're going to continue looking at these verses in the letter to the Ephesians by the Apostle Paul. And we're in this last section where he talks about spiritual warfare. I hope that this will be a help to you. As Christians, we tend to get a little weird when we talk about the devil. You can fall anywhere along a continuum where you don't believe in the devil all the way to where the devil's on every uh, doorstep and behind every door and uh, he's the cause of everything. And I think the Apostle Paul gives us uh, nothing along that continuum. I think he takes us completely somewhere else, uh, which is what he often does and many of the writers of the New Testament do. And so open your scriptures. Uh, We'll start in verse 10. And I'm going to read down to the 20th verse. Now hear God's Word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. You know, no, uh, uh, no normal civilization likes warfare. There have been uh, civilizations in the past and cultures in the past that exalt warfare and it becomes uh, part of the ethos of their lives. And uh, you can think of many of these, uh, the Vikings, uh, perhaps the samurai, warrior class. Uh, Certainly in the ancient Near East, the Canaanite tribes that existed there when Israel came from Egypt were a warrior class. They exalted war. And uh, and if you look back in archaeology and the findings in the archaeological archaeological record, you find gruesome images of warfare uh, and death and destruction. Here, uncharacteristic of a warrior culture, Paul rolls out this idea to the church at Ephesus and to all of us that we are a people at war. That we are indeed struggling in an ongoing battle. 
And human beings don't like war. We want to live in peace. And yet God has, by His Spirit, told us that we are at war and that we are to be on a war of footing. The problem is we don't recognize our enemy. We want to make the enemy political parties, presidents, senators. Uh, We want to make the enemy people that differ from us in religion or race. Perhaps we don't like people who have different colors of skin. Perhaps we don't like people of other religions. And so we find ourselves in tension and conflict often with things and people who are really not the enemy. And Paul goes to lengths here to tell you that the enemy is not flesh and blood. The enemy is something that is behind flesh and blood. And this is where it gets a little scary, a little risky, because you know you start to think everything's the devil. Everything's demonic. But Paul, I think, is giving us a very interesting and nuanced view that it's yes indeed, it's all a spiritual warfare. And while people are engaged, that engagement of human beings is where the heart of man resonates with those evils. And you have to be able to recognize it in yourself, and you have to be able to recognize it in the world around you and in others. Paul is giving us a peek behind the curtain, if you will, letting us see what's going on. And so this morning... I gave you a little bit of background last week. This morning we're going to go a little bit deeper into more detail. We're going to talk about our call to arms. Our call to arms. Secondly, we're going to talk about our battle dress. Those of you that are in the military or have been, you know that you have, I I don't know, uh, I only know this second hand, but I've been told you have many uniforms for many different things. But when you go into combat, there's a certain dress uh, that you take into combat. and now, So we're going to talk about this call to arms and then our battle, our battle dress, and finally, a look at our divine warrior. So that's your outline. Our call to arms, our battle dress, our divine warrior. The call to arms. Look at what he says in this very first verse. He says, finally, and then he goes on, Uh, to explain, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might, put on the whole armor of God. And I told you last week, the word finally should not be translated finally in the sense that it means in conclusion. We tend to think because Paul's reached the end of his letter that he's finishing up and now this is just tying up all the loose ends. But that's not what this word means. In Greek, it's a different word. It's a very specific word. It means literally henceforth. But we don't use that language. You see, it's antiquated. We don't think henceforth. But what it means is, uh, from, from this time forward, or for the time that remains. So what Paul is doing, listen, he's going back and he's gathering up all five chapters in the beginning of chapter six, and he's saying, now is the beginning. Now you're going to start. Not finally, but from this point forward. Henceforth, now take everything that I have told you and go to war. Go to battle. It's a call to arms. You can hear the trumpet blast. You can hear the drums banging. You can hear the the captains calling their, their platoons and brigades and battalions together to get ready to march. You can hear Him calling you 
to enter the war. And part of us doesn't want to do it. We, we're going back, we go, no, I want to tend to my vines and I want to take care of my family and I want to, you know, I want to go on vacation. Where's the closest beach? Anything but that. Anything but war. But unlike our government, and, and let me just take a little detour. You, you may agree or not agree with me, but I think when we entered this last war that we have been engaged in Afghanistan, Iraq, and, and in the Middle East, that our leaders made a mistake, I humbly offer this. They made a mistake telling us we're going to go, we're going to conquer, we're going to come back, we'll be back in 100 days. And, up, and while we're gone, business as usual. Why was this war that we're in not treated, I think, at least from the civilian standpoint, those of us that have been sitting back and watching, it hasn't cost me anything. Right? And yet we have watched our soldiers go time after time, sometimes three, four, five tours, and then they come back and we wonder why their hearts are broken and their minds are shredded. It costs us nothing. Franklin Roosevelt was different. He got up and said, we're going, we're going to go to war. We're not coming back till we destroy the enemy. And then we're going to stay 50, 60, 100 years if we have to. What would have happened if the administrations from George Bush on had said, we're going and we're going to conquer the enemy and we're not leaving the Middle East until it's at peace? Right? What would have happened if we had that kind of call? What would have happened if everybody in this country had to start rationing gasoline and saving tinfoil? Those of you that are older know what I'm talking about. In World War II, you planted what? What kind of gardens did you plant? Victory gardens. But boy, when the price of vegetables goes up two cents or the price of gas goes up, what do we do in America? What do we do? We whine and we wring our hands and oh my God, this isn't fair. How can they possibly, we just whine and bellyache to the point that it is almost, almost uh, a, a pitiful to see a people so fragile. Well, let me tell you, I'm here to tell you, I'm the Lord's spokesman this morning. Yikes. <laughs> woo <-hoo. laughs> We're at war. He has told you to put the armor on. And you're not to take that armor off until the day you exchange it for wedding garments. Amen? Not ever. You're never to lay your armor down. You're never to retreat. You're never to bow the knee. You're never to draw back. This is total war. The sword has been drawn. Blood has been shed. And the sword will not be put away again until there is victory in this earth. And the posture of Christians is, I'll go and I'll do short-term mission, or I'll do this, or I'll go to church once in a while when it suits me, and I'll, I'll do this and that. But, you know, I want a lot of leisure time, and I want lots of prosperity, and I want lots of perfect health, health, wealth, and prosperity. That's the gospel in America today, yes? And if you follow the Gospel Coalition, I suggest you go read some of the articles there. 
publishing right now about that. Finally, Paul's not saying in conclusion. He's saying go now, march, attack, storm the gates of hell. And life is not going to be easy. I wish President Bush had not told us business as usual. I wish he had said, look folks, it's going to be hard the next 25 years. It's going to be tough. We have an enemy that is relentless and will wait generations to destroy us if they have to. Wake up! And that's nothing compared to what you and I face every day in the spiritual realm. Do you get it, folks? We have been called to arms. Don't go to sleep. The command is be strong. Find your strength in the Lord. The error here is we try to be strong in ourselves. We use our own willpower, our own effort, our own good moral rectitude. And all those things tend to betray us. We don't find our identity. We don't find our strength in God. We don't rely on His grace. We don't really believe that He loves us. I know because I don't believe He really loves me. I'm ashamed to say it in my own church, but I struggle every day. Does He really love me? And if He does, why? It's certainly not because of anything in me. And I'm forced. You see, when that happens, when you question that, you are forced to ask the question, if He loves me, why does He love me? And the answer is, He loves me because He wants to. <laughs> Not for anything in myself. And His love for me is so perfect, so robust, so extraordinary, so full, that He would sacrifice His own Son on the battlefield for you and for me. Where do you find a God in any place on this world that would do that? You don't. The command is be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His life, in His might. Put on, take up the armor. The dress is the armor, not your armor. His, the armor of God. And the, the posture, look at it. He says stand. He uses a fourfold militant Expression, stand, withstand, stand, therefore stand. It's going to be hard. I'm not here to tell you how great it is and how you can have your best life now. You're going to have a rough life now. Am I fired yet, Dave? <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I, I don't know what it is. Your life's going to be hard, folks. I'm here to proclaim bad news before the good news. The good news is only good news if you know that it's bad. The bad news is we have been called into battle and there's going to be bloodshed. There's going to be wounds. I tell you, since I've been a pastor, I've been more wounded than all the years before that I was in business. Being in business in the corporate world and then running my own business, that was easy compared to the church. The church is bloody. Not because of you, you all are sweethearts. But there's a devil. 
And he hates us. And he has no, there's no treaty, no pity, no mercy, no nothing. It's pure venom. 24-7, all the time. He hates us, and he will do everything. He has schemes, wiles, methodia, methodia. He has these methods that he uses. So, the posture is to stand. Jesus said this. Listen, folks. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. In the world you will have tribulation, but what? Be of good cheer. Why? Why, folks? I have overcome the world. You see, find your strength in Him. The call to arms is to find your strength in Jesus Christ. Before ever you put the armor. The armor will come in a minute. But before that, find your strength there. A command, a dress, a posture. Be sober-minded, watchful, vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, is going about as a roaring lion to see who he can devour, Peter said. James said, resist the devil. And he will what? What will he do? He will flee from you. One of the greatest things you can learn, Roger, Roger uh, McKay is here today, Roger would know this, uh, it, it, the, the already, not yet. If you don't have that category, and I have said this for all the years I've been at Christ the King, I want to say it again. You must, as Christians, develop, it has to be part of your DNA, your spiritual DNA. This understanding that we live in a, in a world that is already not yet. Jesus has already come. He has already conquered Satan. He has already destroyed him. He's already pulled all his teeth. He's already taken away all of his power except for his mouth. He can continue to lie and deceive and cheat and steal and do things like that. But he has totally vanquished the enemy, but not yet is the kingdom of God consummated. And Christians, if we would just learn to understand our lives in the context of that already, not yet, life would start to make a little bit of sense. And you wouldn't get knocked off, uh, uh, knocked off your feet every time a fiery dart comes and smacks you in the head. I know, I'm like you, I have to face these things as well. If we can develop the idea of the already, not yet, it will make all the difference in the world as you dress yourself for battle. So the call to arms, let's look at the battle dress. These are six articles of uh, clothing or armor, as, you, as we would rather call it. Six articles of armor and six pictures. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because what I hope to do over the next few weeks is actually take a little detail with each one. But, but look at them quickly. And you all have heard a million sermons. If you've been in the church long, you've heard dozens of sermons about the armor of God. Mine is going to be better than anything you've ever heard. Amen. Okay, I'm kidding. Uh, actually, it's going to be different than anything you've heard because I'm going to take a different track and I hope, it, I hope it will make sense to you. There's a belt of truth. There is a breastplate of righteousness. We're going to talk about that next week. Boots, shoes, 
shod. In other words, your feet are prepared to carry the gospel, the gospel of peace. A shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, and a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What Paul is describing here is armor well-suited for the kind of battle that you and I are going to be engaged in. Not with flesh and blood, but somewhere else. And where is that battle being waged? Often the battle is outside in. In other words, you literally are being assaulted. And everyone in this room I know has felt this. You're being assaulted with temptation. Temptation to do wrong. Temptation to sin. Or we're being assaulted with accusation. With slander. You're no good for nothing. What kind of a Christian are you? How could a Christian think the things you think? How could a Christian do the things you do? How could a Christian say the things you say? You're no Christian. Or your mind is assailed with doubts. Could it be? Is this true? I don't know. Is Chuck just full of it? Well, I am, yes, in some respect. But not this. Is it true? Does he really love me? Does he really care about this world? I mean, look how much evil there is in the world. Could it possibly be? I mean, I mean, if you look around, you look at all the suffering, if there was a good God, you know, we go into the, all of the philosophical arguments about good and evil. Doubt. Depression. Read the Psalms. If you don't believe depression is real, read the Psalms. I've been doing 31 days in the Psalms. If you want to ask me about it after church, I'll talk to you about it. 31 day, there's a reading plan, a new version, I just shared it with Dan, that, that, that you can do 31 days in the psalm. Don't do it. It's very depressing. I mean, David, he needed to be on medication. It can be depressing. The world around can crush you. Bad relationships, bad job, bad, maybe your finances. Not, I don't know. There's a million things. Your health can go bad. Disappointment. All of these things. But notice the armor doesn't address battalions and armies and physical things. It addresses us inside. Our hearts, our mind, the hearts of other people. It goes to a place that no other religion goes. It goes inside, into the heart. What we believe, what we think, what we value, and then how we react, act or react to those things, that's where the battle is fought. And the grammar of the gospel in all of the book of Ephesians, the grammar is first, first of all, who you are in Christ. Secondly, whose armor are you dressed in? And then it gets to what you're supposed to do with the armor. You see, the gospel always goes to who you are before ever it tells you what to do. Who you are determines what you do. If you get those reversed, folks, you don't have Christianity anymore. If what you do defines who you are, you have Pharisaism, you have religion, you have every religion in the world. And sadly, you have large parts of Christianity too. 
Lots of Christians will tell you what you do determines who you are. Act this way. Think that, you know, Richard Pratt used to do this to us at seminary. Let me, I'll, I'll do it to you. It's fun. I'm going to make a statement. And I want, uh, you know what? Don't raise your hand because nobody's going to really do it. Okay, just think it. Here it goes. Think right, do right, be right. Think right, do right, be right. How many of you like that? Don't raise your hand. I know that all of you like it, don't you? Yeah, if I could just get my thinking straight, then I would do the right thing. And if I did the right thing, then I would be the right kind of person. Yes? Think right, do right, be right. How should it go? Those of you in my theology class, do not answer. You, what? Be right. Think right. Do right. If you had to put them in order. In other words, who you are would move you towards wanting to think differently. And thinking differently, renewing your mind, will change the way you act. And if you get them backwards, folks, you don't have Christianity. You have something else, but it's not Christianity. No, you have to be right in what Paul has been laboring to tell us for three chapters. All three of the first chapters are about who you are in Jesus Christ. And then he just, he just starts summing it all up. He starts drawing all those threads into the next three chapters. And he's telling you who you are. And then he says, now, because you are this person, you have rights to a certain kind of armor. Put that armor on. And now because you have the armor, go and do. Do you see it, folks? That's Christianity. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Finally, he ends with whole part with prayer. We're not going to talk about that this morning too much. Other than this, I wrote this down this week, and I hope that this will help you. Prayer is not a piece of the armor. And I didn't make this up. All the commentary says. So that part I didn't invent. Prayer is not a piece of the armor. All the commentators say prayer is not a part of this armor. But prayer is the theater. It's the theater of operations wherein you apply the armor. In other words, you put the armor on and where you go to battle is where? Where does Paul say you go to battle? Look at your verses. What does he say? Praying at all times, in all ways, with all perseverance, in the Spirit. We are to go to prayer. Prayer is where you're going to put that armor on and go to war. And that doesn't mean that's the only place that you use it. But if you don't start there, you'll never have success in the everyday little battles in the battlefield. So we've looked at the, the call to arms. We've looked at the armor, the grammar of the gospel, the prayer that's necessary. Now here's where I want to challenge you. And I made reference to it last week. I'm going to close with this. Uh, many of you, and again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because if you do, you should be ashamed of yourselves. Um, and that is we bought a bunch of toys for our kids. 
uh, Roman soldier plastic weapons and gave them to our children and outfitted them like a Roman soldier. I did it. I'm ashamed to say it. Because I wanted to be a good evangelical Christian. I wanted to fit into the Christian subculture. And I wanted to teach my kids how to use the armor of God. So I got them a bunch of plastic junk. And modeled it after who? Who were you told all your Christian life that that armor, that Paul was modeling that armor after? Who? A what? Speak up. Go ahead. A Roman soldier. Of course, because Paul was a dangerous criminal and he was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day and they would change ships and they would unlock his shackles and chain him to another. And this Roman soldier was decked out in 80 pounds of combat gear to guard this little bow-legged apostle who they say was balding and could not stop smiling. And that's from secular sources. you believe that folks the book of acts says paul lived in his own house yes he was under house arrest but he was free he was free to walk around he's free to receive guests he was operating in how yes he was under house arrest and there was probably a roman guard watching him but we have this idea that paul was just building his whole theology about the armor of god around this roman soldier and then he gives us the great news Become a Roman soldier and act like a Roman soldier and dress like a Roman soldier and lose like a Roman soldier because today, where is the empire of Rome? Where is it? It's a rubble. It became a rubble 400 years after Jesus came. It it fell to the ground and it will never rise again. So here, take this, plastic, <laughs> take this plastic armor of a Roman soldier and put it on and go out and lose the battle. That's not what Paul is doing. Think of who Paul was. Paul was a Jew. Not only was he a Jew, he was a Jew that knew his Old Testament. So listen to this. Unless you think I've lost my mind entirely, Dr. Ferguson, Sinclair Ferguson, here it goes. Are you listening, folks? This is great. We ought not... Did you hear that? We ought not to think, as is sometimes suggested, that this word picture is inspired by Paul's prison experience. Paul was not the kind of prisoner who needed to be guarded by a soldier in full combat gear. While there are clear echoes of the armor of a Roman soldier, certainly there's echoes of that, but listen. The basic elements of the armor of God that Paul is talking about. Listen, folks, this, it's unbelievable. The basic elements of the armor of God are drawn from the Old Testament description of the Lord Himself as the divine warrior. The the Old Testament is Filled with imagery of this divine warrior who sits on a throne, a great king, mighty, his eyes blazing with fire, a sword coming out of his mouth, the clouds are his chariot, and he's arrayed in armor. 
And listen to how the, 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 the right, and I'll just give you a few. I'm just going to give you a few. Listen. While with righteousness he shall judge the world, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. He looked, God looked, he looked, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede, no one to go to battle. Then his own right arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and as a helmet. Salvation, I come to rescue you in war, in battle. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him whose feet are shod, are clad with good news of peace and salvation. The New Testament folks, including Paul, all the writers of the New Testament go back into that rich imagery and they pull all those, that tapestry, all those threads together. And you know what picture comes together when they weave it all together? Intentionally they tell us who it is. Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. The divine warrior who came down and was born in a manger. And in that manger... A host of angels came. We've been told all our lives it was a choir. It was not a choir. It was a host. He uses the word for the army of God. The army of heaven came to earth and attended for the next 33 years the life of their king. When he went into the wilderness to battle with Satan, angels came and ministered to him when he went out into the religious world the angels came and supported him as he went out into warfare when he went and touched a leper he was waging war when he opened a blind eye he was waging war when he lifted up an adulterous woman and said go and sin no more i don't condemn you go and sin no more when he did that he was waging war he was pulling down the strongholds and the lofty opinions the lies and the accusations and the temptations. He was shredding the, um, the enemy. And he was arrayed, folks, in armor, battle armor. Jesus Christ came down to wage war for you as the divine warrior. And on the cross, he was stripped naked. But folks, I would like to suggest that while he was naked on that cross, he was still clad in that armor. And when he died and went into the grave, he wore that armor. And when he came out of the grave, he was still clad in that armor. And on the day of Pentecost, he took it bloody, beaten, well-used armor his, not a Roman soldier, his own. 
and He clad you with it. Why? Why? So that when Satan looks at you, who does he see? Though the vile accuser roar of sins that I have done, I know them well and thousands more. My God, He knoweth none. Why? Because I'm dressed in His armor, covered in His righteousness, covered in His blood, a forgiven soldier of the cross, ready for battle. Don't draw back. Don't kneel down. Don't retreat. He will never leave us or forsake us. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, thank You for being the divine warrior, for sending Your Son clad in the armor of heaven to destroy the works of Satan, to free us from our fear, the fear of death, and to take us into a new world, a world where we will exchange that battle gear, sweaty and bloody and dented and torn in some places for a spotless gown, a wedding garment. Father, we look for that day, but until then, we will not retreat and we will not surrender. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you and your church. I pray, Father, that you'll do it. In Christ's name, amen.